0: Hello, and welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our pals and industry friends. But before we get started, be sure to check out our new, fun little logline competition in honor of March Madness. We're doing Logline Madness, and there's a post on the scriptedinscriber.com website with all the details up now on how to enter. But first, today, we're back on with the supervising producer of NBC's hilarious comedy, Undateable, which returns Tuesday, March 17th, right after The Voice... Uh, Mr. Craig Doyle. How are you, Craig?
1: Hey, Kevin. What's
0: up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for coming back on. It's always a blast talking to you.
1: I love, I mean, I love coming on. I love uh, anyone that will listen to me. I hear you or my wife and uh, children asking, you know, that that they're like, will you please stop talking about uh, (laughs) act breaks with us?
0: And and it may not be uh, quite as satisfying because you can't see the people listening to the podcast but know that, you know, thousands of people are listening to you, so... That's um, great! I love yeah. that. Thank
1: God, that's great. I love that. <laughs>
0: um, so you guys come after the voice, which is I, yes, it's pretty wild, that's, man. We're that's actually, huge, right? You know, it's huge. Yeah, I think that one of the things
1: that um, that that changed, you know, uh, from this year to uh, from the last year's season to this year is, is actually the attention that we're getting. I mean, our first season was. We did, uh, you know, we did, uh, we did thirteen episodes, and we they double pumped us, meaning they aired us back to back in the summer, and there was no real promotion, other a couple ads. And I talked to anybody talked about this on some of the other uh, um, times we talked, and mm-hmm. and you know, and we did really well, and it was like, oh my god, we debuted as the best, you know, one of the best summer comedies in ten years, as far as you know, critically, we got great strokes and then also just the numbers were great so we held our number and everything else like that so we came back now and I think as NBC has retooled their uh, you know their comedy um, uh, approach uh, you know I, all the networks are like trying to figure out how the hell to kind of manage that you know the the, the, the changing landscape mm-hmm. uh, they gave us 10 and it was like oh okay well, uh, well you know, alright great cool they're, they're giving us another show of faith and, but we're still kind of like hey, you had a good rookie season, they brought you up at the end and you hit a bunch of home runs, let's you know, we're not giving you the big contract yet, but we're going to give you the a good spot to be able to promote, uh, to premiere. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, we actually had a really good couple taping. Some of NBC's comedies uh, didn't, didn't work the way they wanted them to, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they gave us the post-boy slot here in, in March. So, um, yeah, so Tuesday night we debut after The Voice, and we'll have a lead-in. Uh, I think our lead-in before was like Hollywood Game Night, which was a you know, pretty low-profile, you know, good summer show, but like a profile low-profile thing.
2: Right. As opposed
1: to The Voice, which beyond you know, Sunday Night Football is their flagship ratings buster. So sure. There's a good chance that you know, we're going to get a lot more eyeballs this time, whereas people looked for us last year because of the popularity of the comics and kind of a grassroots efforts of uh, um, the producers and stuff like that. Now it's actually okay, cool. Now here's the thing where we're putting you on. You know, you get radio ads and, and, and TV ads and all that other stuff. So it'll be an interesting kind of thing to being like, hey, no one was looking for you to the point of now. Now we're watching you. Can you perform at the same level, if not better, with, um, you know, with with the machine, so to speak, behind it. So it's going to be crazy, man. We're 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 excited. I think mean, we grew as you know creatively. The show got better. We knew, you know, the actors got better, all the, you know, the, 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 we found their voices. We got more specific stories and more interesting. Um, and, um, you know, the growth of the show continued. So we're excited for everyone to see it and see if this is something that people love as much as we do making it. So yeah. uh, it's pretty wild, man.
0: Well, I-, I had seen the show, but you also invited uh, my wife and I to a taping, which was a blast. Yeah. And that's something that I had never seen before. How you shoot <laughs> a, a multicam show—it's like, yeah, chaos. Normally, it, it seems like on on film shoots, it's everyone rushes to get a shot and you shoot it, and then it's like everyone re, regroups. Whereas on on your show, it seemed to be. There was it was like a party going on in between takes, in between yeah. setups. There's there's uh yeah. there's an MC up in the audience telling jokes yeah. and doing contests and music and a DJ and uh, oh, yeah. you know, some of the actors come out and do stand-up, like Chris Delia was who's, who's hysterical, uh, did a right. little routine. I mean, it's it's so much going on in between setups and takes. I don't know how you guys can concentrate. Uh, the actors yeah, and the writers like... and the crew. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like Mardi Gras yeah, going on in the background while you're trying to set up for the next shot.
1: It, yeah, it could be pretty wild.
0: I mean, it's kind of like
1: you know, like if we were doing a single camera show like Bill Lawrence's other shows, like
0: Scrubs or Cougar Town, or
2: right.
1: You know, you'd have time between setups to do that. You wouldn't have an audience, but like in an audience show, uh, one of the things that kind of in the design of it, which you know, not up to me, is Bill and Adam Stiekiele who you know created the show was the idea of trying to, like if you go to the last actor of the comedy store and you see Chris O'Leary or Brent Moore or Rick Lassman, or live yeah. who are standups stand-ups on the show, mm-hmm. it's an experience because they're so different. Their voices are so different and oh, yeah. they're so funny. They're just hilarious and they work off the crowd and like Chris's crowd works like unbelievable and they're just really funny. Kind of, they feed off of that energy. They're very improvisational, uh, uh, improvisationally kind of uh, gifted that way and, um, you know, we even, even Chris D'Elia has a, uh, his, a Netflix standup special that's coming out in April. And we went, you know, we all went and saw him tape it, uh, at the, was it the Will Turn, And, you know, the, the, I guess the sets between the first set and the second set that they taped together, it's like, he even improvised within that and went crazy. So it's like, even when he's doing his special of scripted stuff that, you know, his material, he's still going rogue. And, and it's like, all of them do that. So, so the thing is, is like you know, you have to keep that the audience there. Whereas you know, some people use, uh, you know, all, the, all shows, all multi cameras use an audience warm-up and a DJ, and they have you know, they try to entertain the crowd, keep that going, to get the laughs for that live energy. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, some of them use the audience so the actors can have them. Uh, we're incredibly reliant on the audience, whereas maybe other shows they're kind of like they're they, uh, they're less that, so they might have more. Formally trained actors, or you know, people that are like, they know where the laughs are. They know where that is. They've done multi-camera a million times. They know that kind of stuff. And there's our guys who are used to being in that stand-up environment. They feed off that energy.
2: Mm. So it's
1: a conscious decision for Bill and Adam to make sure that we try to make it that party atmosphere, so that set into the into the performance. And um, so we had kind of a unique experience because they're all stand-ups and they're willing to, like some stand-ups, you know. They get to a certain level; they're not going to sit there and want to entertain the people, and you know they're going to want to learn their lines and sure. concentrate or be too cool for school. These guys are like, "Hey, Ron, you want to talk to him?" Yeah, go. And He just goes up and does 20 minutes in between setups and costume changes, and, and then comes back. So it's a really unique kind of a environment within the multi-camera environment. But uh, um, but as a writer, you know, you're, it gives you time, but it's also kind of at that point you've done. Uh, all the prep, mm. you know, you've written a million versions of the script. You have a bunch of different lateral jokes and lateral areas for jokes and things. And, uh, you know, Bill's such an old school guy and a pro guy. It's like, you know, that you have him kind of uh, cutting the thing in his head and knowing how it's going to play. So when we get to show night, it's kind of re- not relaxation time. It's more like, it's more like, uh, our, we've already done our game plans. This is how we're going to do it. Let's keep going. You know, right. so so it's less if a joke doesn't work we all kind of run back circle up and try to see can beat it or come up with a new area um find a replacement for it but uh um the most or get to the comics they hate hey, is the area we're in we, we we're kind of we're stumped what do you think and and they go oh why don't I say this all right cool let's go there so right. it's very collaborative that way and it's it's very unique so um but yeah it's wild it's it's very it took a while to get used to that right. and once you're kind of used to it you're like god I wish they all were like this because uh but you don't have the horses, you know. That's the thing. These guys are so good. You had people that were more, uh, less experienced in that, or that wasn't their thing. They're funny, but they're more, you know, more uh, scripted, or they, you know, that kind of stuff is their wheelhouse. Then you wouldn't necessarily be able to get them to improvise and be cuckoo uh, like we do. So, pretty uh, yeah. But it's fun. It's a funny experience. It's necessary. You gotta come to the live show. So it seems um, like it's so almost that's I tell people.
0: almost this weird combination. Like it's in between film and theater because you're shooting a film technically, you know, a television show, but at the same time you have a live audience, you get the interaction. It affects, you know, how the jokes, not necessarily how the jokes play, but which jokes you can find out immediately, which jokes work, which jokes don't work. Right. You know, so, and you get the energy from them, they get the energy from you. So it's really kind of interesting. Um,
1: yeah, you know, like some shows, I mean, I've done a couple pilots uh, with the networks and I've done a multi-camera and I did a, uh, hybrid, kind of like How I Met Your Mother, where they don't use an audience, they do block and shoot, and mm-hmm. you know, they might shoot over two days, and they have sets. It's the same style, where you have four cameras uh, looking into the set and, and filming and uh, doing that thing, but it's also, um, uh, um, you know, the the, the, the audience is, uh, they'll laugh, These laugh, uh, laugh machine. The nice. guy that actually has two guys, they have a machine, so what they'll do is like, you know, hey, you could have a dead audience one night. I mean, some of these audiences are paid audiences that come in, you, you know, they, if they don't know the show, you know, if it's a new show, they don't know it. Like, look, everybody wants to go to Big Bang, so they're sure. never looking for audiences because it's a big, you know, show that everybody knows. Um, everybody's going to see broker over Everybody wants to go see Mom or the Millers or Mike and Molly. But this show, Undateable, for us, it's like, look, no one knows who we are quite yet. I mean, some people are familiar, definitely, but like, we're not a we're not a uh, you know we're not uh, a lot of the audience that came was from people writers on the staff or fans of the comics or you know we were able to do but sometimes you get you know you can import uh you you bring in an audience and they come from people and they're just not into the show mm-hmm.
2: you know, they
1: didn't choose to come so they're there and they're getting you know a couple bucks to be there and a free sandwich and they're just like whatever so you get this dead audience and then so when you get the cut back you're like wow we know that's a lot funnier than uh, it came across that night. So there's a guy, it's a couple guys, who have like a patented machine that's kind of like a laughing, so you sweeten it, and you know, in the mix, you'll sweeten a laugh or add some stuff here and there. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, so some people are like, the, the showrunners or the uh, directors are less reliant on if something worked in the audience and oh, this was definitely bigger on show night. It, it, like, Bill's very, Bill and Adam are very uh, um, thoughtful about making sure that like, this played bigger on show night, then that means it makes the makes the cut. Uh, it's the show right now. That audience's opinion or their reaction is very, um, it's very important to uh, what decides and Adam decides what they're going to use, what jokes or what takes we're going to use. So, um, but the other shows aren't uh, aren't on that. They're like, well, you look, I can cut this together and it's going to be, it's going to be, and, and you know, put I'll sweep my so I'll kind of go that way. So, the yeah, the audience is huge for us, the big thing. So we kind of lean into that. So it's almost sort of like uh, the Seahawks using going to play at home games, or, or the the Chiefs, like the deafening sound. We know that's an asset. It's the 13th man or whatever it is they call it. Like we're, we're with them. So they're uh 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 we're, 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 we we uh, we use it we use it pretty we're pretty reliant on it. Yeah. So.
0: I, I was yeah. slightly disappointed. The, the audience was terrific when I was there. I mean, there were a lot of laughs. It was really <laughs> funny. But I was slightly disappointed because there was no sign. You know how you see uh, on TV shows oh, like or the, the right, the yeah,
2: the applause sign. Right, the applause sign.
0: There was no applause sign. There was nothing to tell us when we should <laughs> clap and laugh. And But they seemed to figure it out. Yeah. No, that is funny, I though. I
1: think that that's, that's – I mean, that's kind of like – they do that a lot with, uh, with like um, variety shows, like whether it's All or those. I think that, you know, like a talk show – I don't know if Jimmy used that kind of stuff, but like, I know that they talk shows traditionally have that kind of thing because they're more timed, you know, you're like, okay, we're doing this. And, you know, we'll get, the guest has this much time and they're right. kind of being a little more like that. But, um, but we're, uh, we, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we just don't do that. I guess it's kind of a throwback thing, but yeah, you kind of, I think the most old school thing is that Adam wanted to make sure that when you come up in from the titles and the show that it says, you know, unnatable film in front of a live studio audience, kind of like how cheers was said that and, that old school kind of announcement or taxi wise, or, you know, you know, those old, old shows, they would say that. So that's, so we were trying to get more back to that. That's, that's as old school a throwback he as we get beyond the form of it being a multi-camera. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> they don't have those signs. I haven't, I haven't seen one of those in a long time.
0: Yeah. I, I totally expected to see one, but I didn't. That was funny. Yeah. Um, and Bill actually was very interactive as well. He, like, climbed up into the stands and, you yeah. know, was... Uh... Well, Bill's, a, Bill's, a, Bill's like a performer at heart.
1: It's funny because it's like, you know, as we're writing, as we're doing our thing, it's so funny because he's like, you know, he goes on the road and he's going back out on the road with the stand-ups. They're doing a tour. They're starting it, debuting it South by Southwest, and then they're, um, and then they're going around and doing kind of what they did in the grassroots tour last year with the, the whole promote show. So Bill does that. He opens for them. And he used to be, you know, he did stand up as a young man before Spin City and did that whole thing and tried to do that stuff. It's hilarious. And mm-hmm. when we're in the writer's room, he's doing more bits. Like a lot of the bits that the guys do, especially for Chris his character, Chris in him, like that personality style and that whole thing is very much in Bill's wheelhouse. He'll kind of do bits in that whole thing, and it's really funny, and he's hilarious. So, so he's going to perform. So I think he loves like, that show night. He loves that energy. He loves getting up there, and a lot of people come to see him because they're Scrubs fans, sure. they you know, um, Coobertown fans. And they come, and, you know, he's been very uh, open and vocal at the Writers Guild, and he's always, you know, willing to help people and done certain things. So he's a very accessible guy of the people, and I think that he loves that element. So he gets up there, and he kind of, he likes to uh, kind of set up the show, and, and get that uh, feedback from people and try to work them. And you know, he's also really aware during the show, like, hey, man, uh, Ron Funches is really killing tonight, and we have a scene up here that's a little tough, uh, that we know that the actors got late, that might be tough. Um, Ron's pretty light in that thing. Let's have Ron do stand-up in the can sets, uh, keep the audience going. So he's right. thinking about it almost like a maestro in that way, too, of like, oh, okay, uh, you know, i got to keep them... Uh, that keeps him engaged. So, he, but he loves it. He loves it. It's great. He gets up there and tries to make it, uh, make it, make the audience. He knows how important they are, and uh, you know that live audience. So he's he's very uh, conscientious of making sure that uh, uh, he's he's kind of strumming those strings the right way. But uh, yeah, it's funny. He's just he's a kid in, uh, pig and taking shit. He loves it. He gets in there with the comics. They work out bits together. A lot of the second pass things, or, or we go through the, um, you know, we go through the uh, uh, new, uh, do a new take with new jokes. Those are a lot of Bill's jokes that he kind of riffs with the guys. And, um, but it's wild, man. It's it's uh, it's it's wild to watch everybody kind of do their thing on show night. It's like uh, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, be- to watch everybody gonna do their thing.
0: Before I realized it was Bill, I just saw him climb up into the stands yeah, how it and, audience, and start doing, you know, start telling some jokes. And I'm like, oh, he's pretty funny. I'm like, wait, that's Bill Lawrence. That's... <laughs> that was really kind of odd to me. I thought he was just because, you know, there is a an MC up there who's doing jokes and stuff um, and you had right, some right, stand-up right. Com- comics come out, you know, either cast member. I think one of them wasn't a cast member, but, you know, different uh-huh. warm-up guys or, you know, cast members who are right, stand-up right. comedians. Yeah. So I just assumed that he was a stand-up comedian. until so I looked closely. I'm like, wait a minute, right. that's Bill Lawrence. So <laughs> I thought that was funny because he was actually really good.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Chuck Lorre, is, a, that isn't his thing. I don't think he would do that. I don't know if Michael Patrick King or if, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Halpert or any of those guys are in that kind of a style or they would, that would be their, their move to do. But that's definitely Bill's. That, that's his style. He loves that stuff. So he was very, you know, he loved getting up there. That's so totally funny. He's just like, hey, who's this millionaire walking, climbing over the rail? Do we need to run? <laughs> over next to it? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, he's, he loves it, man. It's so fun. He, it's fun to watch him up there because he's just uh he uh you know, I think it, it, you know, it, it, he's a performer at heart and he does depths really of the and cougar town where he's you know, done it, you know, they he always a show creators or some writer or whatever will do a some kind of cameo when you're later in the season and whatever, but he's he's got a season, he's always been really funny, so uh he's a he's a big game he's so funny.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, you guys are that's back fair. Tuesday, March 17th, which actually, I think we're going to post this on Tuesday, March 17th, so you're probably hearing it, sweet, and sweet. you it probably is. should we'll not be listening to this, coming. you should be watching Undateable, but...
1: Yeah, um, watch it, and listen, and then, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, get people who are, <laughs> get people who have Nielsen boxes to yeah. watch it. If
2: you
1: have a Nielsen box, this is not an open, this is a, gen, a generic... Uh, solicitation to you—that's not a solicitation. <laughs> solicitation, go solicitation to you. We'd right. love it if you watch the show with a ton of people.
0: Yeah, so everyone <laughs> watch the show, that. but especially you, Nielsen families. Please watch it, and please uh, watch it. Yeah, immediately. We'd love it. Yeah, um, right. When do you find you, Ola, We just would implore you. To <laughs> 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 um, you haven't. So you're going to air uh, after yeah. voice. How soon after do you find out uh, about another season, season three? Uh, well, yeah, but the thing is, is
1: with nowadays, it's, it's a lot different than the way it used to be, um, you know, uh, in, 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 as, as in the old days, they would let something grow for a while. I and mean, you heard the same stories of Seinfeld being kind of a summer bomb and then it, just, it kind of found its legs and they just kept it on the air and, mm-hmm. and they kind of find an audience and then it starts to blow up. That's a very common thing you'd hear, hear uh, you know, back, uh, Years ago, and, and nowadays it's just not the it's just not the not the case. I mean, they, it's it's because it's almost kind of like how our news cycles have turned into 48 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of our attention stands for theater for for uh, for TV shows and 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 you know theatrical. You know whether you know movies used to play for a year. Remember, we were right. watching Star Wars as a kid, you'd go to the theater and you'd go and see it again, and it would be a couple months later. Like let's go see Star Wars again, right? If it was in the same theater. You know, a TV show gets chance now. It's kind of like hey, if you don't perform right away uh you better start going heading towards the door it's kinda like it, it it's pretty brutal, so mm-hmm. uh, there's too much competition on on the dial and on the you know on the ipad and whatever it may be so uh we should know relatively quick i mean hopefully you know last year we were off the off the you know radar, so to speak, and now with having n b c behind us and being very you know a lot of promotion and a lot of um you know a lot of plugs within the voice and using the voice to draft off of you know the lead in uh we are hoping to get you know a good a good sampling, and a great number on the on a premiere, and then hopefully hold that for a few weeks. And if I think if we hold it for the first three, hold it or stay near that at an acceptable, you know, acceptable, uh, um, uh, a, a acceptable loss, so to speak, of 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 rating points, or maybe even a growth like Empire went crazy, like mm-hmm. it went big, and then it just got bigger. It's like that's a, such a specific kind of like such a phenomenon, and then everybody's like, how do we get the next Empire? We're hoping that that's the thing that happens is <laughs> They're <actually> like, hey, <laughs> How do we get undatable? <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, I think the way uh, the way it will work is that we'll get a number um, off that number, depending on the next this two to three weeks after that, how we do. Uh, if we retain that, uh, if we lose a lot, if we gain some, that will all take a, uh, into account with uh, NBC's decision-making as they make their decisions for the fall here in mid-May. So we will know, we'll have a good idea with it by, the, by, I would think, the first or second week of April. So that would have been three to four airings. We'll kind of have, there'll be a pattern that's discernible by then, by the powers that be, where they could say, all right, cool, this is it. And then then the other factors that, that play into that are um, their current development slate is a lot of multi-camera things they could pair it with. It kind of starts to get the scheduling. They can you know, some shows are like, all right, cool, this is doing it doesn't cost a lot of money for that rating point, even though that rating point isn't a huge rating point compared to the other networks. You know, it doesn't have to win its time slot to get a renewal, but if it holds its own in a certain thing, they you know, they go, Okay, cool, we can put another show behind that and we can do a big, you know, make it a make it a big um, uh, make it a big thing. So and and you know, the networks uh, the networks have been making a push to try to go back to multi-camera comedy because of their cost effectiveness.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, it, they cost less money to make as opposed to like a show like Parks and Rec or like Book 9 or something. Right. So, you know, that rating point, uh, a, a comparable rating point between a multi-camera and a single camera might be a huge factor where uh, they go, well, that one costs a lot less to make than the other one. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the, this is a long answer to uh, the short answer would be that we should know within the first three or four weeks, how it looks. And then, you know, they could, they could pick us up early they could just wait. They could, uh, um, you know, they could make up their minds early that, Hey guys, time to go look for new jobs right. and, uh, and, and start going that way too. So uh, yeah, it's a stressful, crazy thing, but it's kind of like, you know um, you know, it's ironic that it's like run March madness. It's kind of like the tournament March madness. You do this whole, a lot of work to get there, and it could be one game and out, you know, right. or you play two games and out, or three games and out, or like, hey, we doing the whole thing. So um, it's uh, it's uh, it should be like that. So we'll see, man. It, it'll be uh, it'll be you know, and, and upfront for your listeners who don't know that is when the um, the networks uh, networks being you know CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, like kind of the broadcast networks, not the cable networks, so much. Uh, they go to New York and they do the the uh, chairman of combat, uh, entertainment for that um, for that uh, network will c- go in front of all the the uh, advertisers and the advertising companies and whatever show them kind of a sizzle reel of what they're programming with the idea of raising money to get in and uh, and raise money for advertising dollars. So uh, they have to make up their mind what they're shooting. You know, the pilots are shooting now. They're shooting and they'll be delivered in you know in April. And they'll make up their minds right before uh, that day. And when they do that, they kind of, uh, you know, you, if you're a creator, you did a pilot, let's say they order 10 pilots in comedy, you start to hear, Hey, we're going to be on the schedule. We're going to be in mid season, you know, in the mid season schedule, like a was, or we're going to be in the fall schedule, which is like the premier thing to do, uh, or the thing you really want to do. And, uh, uh, you go from there. So we're hoping to get, you know, some good news, um, you know, have a good inclination as to how the future to play out before that. But um, uh, you never know. It could be a game time decision. So you never know. Pretty right. Wild.
0: Now, is there a different, I don't want to say quota in terms of ratings, but is there a different number that they look for for you, a fall right. show versus a mid-season replacement show?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I mean, there's definitely, you know, look, I mean, it, it all comes down to money, isn't it all? But, mm. um, you know, this upfront thing that will happen in May is to get people to kind of buy in on the premium. You know, like you're buying in ahead before this thing becomes a big hit. So, like, right. they would have shown Empire at that time and said, okay, cool, you can get in at X amount of dollars. Well, now that Empire is a bona fide monster hit, to try to get back in on Empire and get your, you know, your Apple iWatch commercial or whatever. It's going to cost a lot more. Right. So a lot of times what you're doing is buying kind of on, on futures, hoping that those shows in the hitting. or, Hey, we're going to buy a whole media package. We're target. And we want to buy a whole media package of, of ads and, and promotion and product placement and stuff into NBC. And we saw their schedule and we really love it because there's a blacklist. We could do this part of our, our profile and here and, and, you know, uh, for kids and family, we've got this show that you have over here and for comedy and stuff that's like, you know, do beer and whatever, you got a bar show and datable all that stuff kind of plays into it. So um, if that money is big and high up early, you know, uh, you know, broadcasters, that's when they're making those decisions, you get these people that aren't necessarily creative. They're like, how did that, you know, famous examples of, holy shit, that show was such a great pilot with sort of that cast. Oh my God, Jack Black was in it and Owen Wilson were in it and Ben Stiller wrote and directed it. It's like, oh my God, how do you how does that not go? And you're like, you know, uh, because at the time before those people were anything, there was probably factors in the, on the business side of the big media conglomerates that were saying, Hey, look, target and Walmart and, and, uh, um, you know, and Budweiser and whoever are looking to buy into that, uh, these shows, they like these shows better. So it's a money thing, you know, you're not getting going on. Right, it's going to be like cheers or taxi. It's going to be a, you know, we're going to get your audience in a certain way they're kind of looking for things that are, um, you know, in general, I'm not, this is the generic thing, but they're generally trying to find that, uh, um, that, uh, uh, the thing that kind of pleases all gods, and so to speak, and very, every once in a while you get like a friend, that's a breakout creatively and, you know, financially and those things make literally billions of dollars. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but so, so the money is, the, is, is, you know, a huge part of it. So an equitable rating point. So like, let's say that, you know, someone's getting a great rating point, but they get more money for a show with lesser rating point because of the audience it gets and of who they are in the demo. I mean, like that's Apple computer always used to say, yeah, we only have 10% of the market share of PCs, but our 10% buys Audis and BMWs and high-end tickets, whereas another 90% are buying things that are less the values of, of advertisers. They always used Steve Jobs, I remember, always used to use that as a moniker, or kind of like a point of pride for not having market share. It was kind of, well, this is our spin on it. So you could say the same thing with a with a show, I would think, because the rating point you could say, well, look, this one costs less money, and the advertisers that we get are more lucrative or are bigger whales than the ones that the one that's maybe getting a better rating, but it's maybe more niche audience that they go, okay, cool. Um, you know, you saw a little bit of that. Like there's that Jane the Virgin, which is on CW, and it won uh, Gina Rodriguez won like a, a you know won the Golden Globe for Performer. Then ratings have not been great. I mean, mm. they've been in a really low. Uh, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.3. Like that's really low for a network show. Mm-hmm. Normally, that would be like, hey, you're on the chopping block. There, it was a creative hit, and also the demo because it's going after uh, you know, like a Latino engine and stuff like that. That makes that uh, that that math change that 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 component or that that uh, uh, variable changes that. So, sure. in in the sense for CW, their threshold might be at a different place, and they go, all right, cool and it's getting critical acclaim, we know this is going to grow, and we have a big foothold in the Latino community where that's a, a growing community that we're, we're looking to try to, uh, our advertisers are super interested in getting into. So, um, you know, that, that, that can, so there's so many things. It's just things that are completely out of your control. So you just try to, like, are right, cool, people like this? I mean, ultimately, Bill would say, if it's a great spell, and it's, it's creatively great, and it's clicking that way, and very soon does that get it canceled something is just kind of not working, but it's got kind of a niche audience here. People love it, but it doesn't need a lot of money. It's like, you know, the community is a, is a show that, has a, a, you know, a, a ravenous audience. They're very loyal and very huge. And Dan Harmon, you know, got a huge following. Well, that show never was lucky at the same level as like Seinfeld or Frasier or something like that as far as on the ratings. But, um, the quality was dictated that it would, you know, keep many chances in doing things like that because it had such a rapid following there. An interesting demo that, uh, that that tickled the you know the uh, itches for the um, networks and the, and the studios. So mm-hmm. um, it's uh, yeah, that part is just stuff. Just mind boggles me. I pretend like I know what I'm talking about and uh-huh. say a lot of words about it, but I you know at the end of the day, I don't know shit. It's so crazy.
0: No, I mean they all definitely play into it. Having worked in marketing myself, they all act. Yeah, d- points are not necessarily equal. Demographics play right. a huge role in, right? You know, and prestige winning MEs or being nominated, like the Golden Globe win, I'm sure helped as well. Especially for oh, a for CW, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, it's
1: the same too. way that you mentioned, like you know that that, uh, um, you know, with a uh, trans, uh, the was it the Amazon uh, show with. Oh my God, I'm trans... Transgender, is that it? What's, what's it? Oh God, I'm, Oh.
0: Uh, that, that. Okay. Now Oh, now I, <laughs> I
1: can't just think of the name of the show and it's great. But like that, like for that, it was like the Jeffrey Campbell show. It's like that... Uh, transparent. That, that, transparent. Oh my yeah. God, I was like... Blank. It was one of those where it was like, I know it's not transgender, I know it's not America. because it was a movie. Right. But Transparent, that is such a huge thing for yeah. Amazon. It puts them on the map and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, people are going to now... Launch that Amazon app on their iPads or on their smart TV. and go. All right, what's going on here? Because I heard this show's great. Yeah. But that exposure is just massive. So, um, you know, in the same in the same way that it's like you're 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 looking for a you know for, for on a network level something like Jane the Virgin gets that kind of accolade, it definitely makes that you know that you know that the footsteps are coming. You know that there's going to be people on their way. Right. So you know, you, on the come, you're going. All right, cool. This is gonna we could start building off of this, and we have a star that we're really excited about and who has a, you know, a lot of, uh, um, you know, critical acclaim and, and a big following in that way. So, um, yeah, that, that's hugely important to them.
0: Yeah. And for talking about demographics, the CW doesn't get near the ratings as you know, the, the other big networks, but right. they have that niche, that young demographic Yeah, because, you know, the right. shows that they do, the 90210s and the, the Flash know, and Arrow. Right. Yeah. The, they, have they have a, like a young demographic.
1: Right. It's a very specific kind of a thing. So within that, their, 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 uh, um, you know, their methodology as far as programming, whatever might be a little different, uh, than, you know, probably a lot different than it is on the other networks. You know, that's probably more comparable it would be an ABC family or one of the other networks that does like young adult style kind of shows you right. know, like that, like uh, secret life of American teenager or whatever those kind of things are, or, or, you know, MTV even went after it with the och- and stuff like that. So they know that it's kind of like young people, beautiful young, beautiful people, or Vampire right. Diaries or whatever. But you probably wouldn't see that kind of a show necessarily on CBS or because they're more of a different, you know, different demo kind of. Thing. And the other thing that, as far as ratings, as as is, is, is you know, as it's kind of been explained to me, it's also the Twitter the Twitter stuffs like is the show trending? Is, are people talking about it? Because mm-hmm. Nielsen's tried to get into and uh, get into more of that kind of tracking to do more of a giant, um, you know, uh, having ratings not just be on the Nielsen, is that you have these, these you know, everybody's everybody's doing two screens. Everyone's like watching a show while they're on their phone.
2: Mm-hmm. Everybody's
1: tweeting while they're watching, you know, while they're watching The Voice or whatever, they're tweeting that. And, and they're also trying to get a hold of that. And, and, and also, the, you know, the ratings powers and the measurement bureaus as they are, they're trying to tap into that too. So if you sit there and go, all right, cool, Nielsen families aren't necessarily watching this show, but it's doing, it's trending, and it's got tweets about it are super high. You know, you, you know, networks can sit there and go, uh, you know, they could sit there and get that a new kind of uh, uh, measurement and go, hey, look, yeah, the number was here, but if you look at this over here, you kind of take the whole picture into consideration. That that's new, in the last, you know years since that whole thing, that's pretty new because, uh, it was pretty much live and die by the ratings, you know, mm-hmm. by the Nielsen number. So now I think Nielsen's trying to get into that and making more of like whatever a, uh, you know, an aggregate number, whatever that could kind of be as, as far as I understand it, and I kind of go from there, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a new landscape. So it'll be interesting to see how unbeatable does within that. Cause I think all of our guys that are on the show are huge. Uh, you know, they're huge. Um, uh, Twitter fans, followers, and Instagram followers, and Bridget Mendler—we added to the show. Is, is you know she's got three and a half, four and a half million, whatever, all kinds of you know Twitter, Instagram, whatever, mm-hmm. seven million Facebook. Views. So that kind of a thing is is a bit of a push for us to try to say like how how do we get Bridget's fan base, which has been this you know post Disney Channel kind of thing, where she's hugely popular, and how do we get that with Chris D'Elia's fans, who are like you know he's doing the Bieber roast. It's like a guy right. at Comedy Central. Kind of star that's more of a rough, you know, rough and tumble comic with a girl who's a pop star. Like, how do you, how do you marry those audiences and reconcile that and make it one big thing? So, um, you know, that's been a big challenge for us and for NBC's marketing and, and all that to try to, try to, try to capitalize on it because we're trying to get all those areas yeah. and, and make sure that we get, we score in every single uh, measurement that you could possibly do.
2: Right. You know, whether
1: it's this, that, and the other. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, so for us, I mean, for sure, I think this is a new new landscape, new frontier for Bill for sure um yeah. and for all of us,
0: yeah, and you know I think uh Nielsen is wise to sort of broaden their horizon because so rarely the Nielsen family you have of you know the past i don't know how long they started how right they started of sitting, oh, it's it's uh Tuesday at Fine nine time. o'clock. The voice is ending. I'm yep. going to go watch and date him. I'm going to sit in front of my team. Nobody watches TV that way anymore. You DVR, it no or, you know, you, you know, right. so, and you watch it later. You watch it, you yeah. know, an hour afterwards, because then you can fast forward through all the commercials or, you know, whatever it happens right. to be, however you're going to watch it. Um, right. You don't so they're watch it. it putting I mean,
1: a lot yeah. of ne- they're putting a lot more importance on the live plus seven, which is, um, yeah. you know, like we've talked about before, but it's like, it's that it's live plus three and live plus seven are things if you go to the, if you see, if you're, you know, this might be boring for people, but whatever. No. It's like if you're looking at, if you're looking at the ratings, is that there's, a, there's a, your Nielsen rating, which is your overnight rating. So uh-huh. you sit there and go, all right, they, like last night, I you know the ratings up earlier and it was like, uh you know, uh, the odd couple was on there because this is a multi cam. Um, and the, uh, I think they got a 2.5. That was like their number, right? That's their overnight number. Now you sit there and, and go, all right, cool, last night. Kyrie Irving went crazy, and, right. and people might be watching him throw up 57 on the Spurs, and they have taped it, and they're going to come back. So in three days, they'll take another measurement to see measure with who watched it on DVR or later, and then in seven days they'll do another one. So mm. that's the live plus three, live plus seven. So they go three days from now and three in seven days from now. That that measurement used to, I think, used to have less value, or not value, but less importance by the networks, like a Les Mendes or whoever, you know, again, those powers that be, um, less important on that kind of stuff than the overnight ones. Cause you're like, okay, that is what it is. And, and this is, right. you know, that's how it's going to go. So big bang last night in 1849, I'm just looking now it's 4.4 with 16 million viewers. Now it was live plus SD standard definition. That's their whole thing. In three days, you will, you'll be able to look up and see what big bangs uh, live plus three numbers were. And in seven days you'll see what their live plus seven. And, those should go up because that means people were they're adding those onto that. So um, sometimes you might not have a show might not have uh, amazing uh, it might have a good or decent uh, overnight numbers, but they're at plus three and plus seven. A lot of cable shows are that way, you know, like with right. its Game of Thrones and, and that kind of stuff. Well, people will watch it over the week sometime. Right. That doesn't mean that it just means it's like oh okay this is the window where we care it's like they're still technically seeing all the same stuff sure. you know they're able to fast forward do commercials or whatever but you know but they you know if they they weren't or you put a product placement in there for Coke or whatever it is they're still seeing the guy drink a Coke you know you still got the sure. same eyeball, so there's got to be a measurement for that that makes sense and makes is important to them so they said I mean there's been a lot of stories about that like that that's becoming more and more of a. Uh, um, Thing that that the networks are looking at that number with a lot more weight than they normally or they used to. Right. So um, you know, there's there's where all of a sudden your live plus seven, your live plus three, it's higher than the show that, that beat you in the overnight. So you're like, all right, cool. We lost to Fox in on at from eight o'clock, but you know, in our live plus three plus seven, we actually passed Fox. We were higher than them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: uh So you're like, oh, okay, cool. We tell the the advertisers, hey, man, look, this is our thing, and then they can. Do that as opposed to ah, we kind of lost that game. It's no, you, but you want you might have won the series, you know. Right. So it's uh it's a definite definitely a different uh, different profile that way. So um, that's all all shit that we're gonna see with undatable. That's going to be interesting. Our I plus three and live plus seven was wasn't that big of a. We didn't get a big boon off of that. We were hoping we would, right. but it, we didn't get a big boon, because we were up against the uh, um, the NBA finals. So it was really tough. Like if you. We're watching that you weren't necessarily watching you right. know a day we were kind of had the eyeballs or we didn't it wasn't there was no uh there was no dance in there where we can kind of go well we know people watched it then some people definitely did but you know when you're not being promoted people would know to tape you they had to know to kind of look for you Sure, they couldn't stumble upon you it's kind of like you know you have to set your DVR you know so um so um we'll see this time now hopefully with the Awareness, just like a movie, and penetration with ad campaigns. So that actually, hopefully, will become something that that those numbers have a bigger impact in our um, in in our success or our, you know, our demise. So
0: we'll see. And do they take uh, into do they take into consideration that certain shows, you know, with an older demographic, may have far more viewers that watch it immediately or at least watch it on TV, whereas a show. Like Undateable yeah. or something that has a younger skewing demographic. You may watch it online and there's no ratings for that. I mean, I'm sure they, I guess they can kind of gauge how many downloads, but I don't know if that's really tracked. I've never seen like tracking numbers. There
1: like, is. I think there is. I don't think it's something like Nielsen where you can go on a uh, website like TV by the numbers right. or one of those and pull that up. I think they definitely have those kind of things. I think Nielsen, if you have a subscription to Nielsen, you probably pull those things. Right. And when I worked in advertising, we definitely did. There was nothing like this. There was no Twitter. There was no real internet kind of a thing
2: right.
1: um, where there was that. It was all Nielsen. We, you know, I was a buyer for I bought local, you know, local markets and whatever for like most of like cartoon and kids programming, and it was like you use you live and died by a printed Nielsen book. That was it. And right. then you had a printed radio, you know, um, Arbitron book, and that was it. So if you were buying radio, and then you're like, well, that you know that drive time half hour. In you know uh, Wilkstar, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, it right. does this, and that's what you're by. It's like that's your cost per point, and what you spent on a commercial, or what you were gonna charge, or whatever it was gonna be. Now it's kind of you could start using these you know aggregates of all this stuff, and try to figure out some kind of a thing. But I, I don't know. It's it's wild because like you know CBS, like to your point earlier, it's like CBS is always considered like the you know the uh, a network for older demographics. Sure. So you sit there and likewise, you know, last night, they Big Bang and, and The Odd Couple and um, Elementary, those kind of shows win big in those things because people are watching them live. Whereas right. a show like 30 Rock or maybe Brooklyn Nine-Nine or now Last Man on Earth, people might not watch that. That's aimed not towards my parents or people of that era where they were used to like, you were saying, sit down at 8 o'clock and saying, all right, we'll watch them for the next two hours and we'll watch the news at 10 and then we'll right. watch Johnny Carson in bed. And it's like, that's just not the way it is anymore.
2: Right. You know, even,
1: you know, a late night host like Jimmy Kimmel, you know, I didn't watch last night thing live. I watched the internet feed of president Obama on there and his mean yeah. tweets. And you watch Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon do, you watch him do his rap battle. You watch, uh, you know, Letterman have a guest or a musical guest. He's kind of watching in segments and it's kind of like you're watching him online the next day. So they're definitely tracking those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I know that they're doing that. I think it's again, it's kind of like in the same way that you could, if you're a car dealer, you go look a luxury car. These, this is the demographic. We don't care if we have rock. You know, uh, we're gonna put a Who song on because the Who is <laughs> the big band when the people who bought our car right. were eighteen and they're you know as opposed to oh, okay, It's a you know it's a it's a Hyundai. It's a smaller Hyundai. You know, it's going after high school and college kids. It's gonna look. You know, they're going to put, you know, more current music and stuff like that. So you rate them differently and measure things differently as you kind of do that. And that was no different, even though they all kind of share, you know, I'm sure CBS would love to have Empire. So in NBC, right. even if that wasn't in their plans, they would all love to steal that the same way that, you know, I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, Ford would have loved to have the Prius,
2: you know, it's like right. that. So
1: it's the, But their plans are always to kind of row in this direction and go towards that that goal. So, um uh yeah, but it's uh, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely
0: be interesting. Change a lot. Yeah, I remember seeing a cartoon. I think it was in the LA Times. It was a little cartoon, you know, in the in the paper, and uh-huh. it said what sh- what film executives should take from the success of Titanic. Oh uh, uh-huh. no, what what film executives? Oh yeah, should take from the success of the t- Titanic, and it has a bunch of uh-huh. uh, a drawing of a bunch of executives sitting around a boardroom saying we should uh, give. Our creative types more freedom to to make the kind of movies they want to make, and then when it says right. what film executives will take from the success of Titanic, and it says boats, we need more movies with boats, you know that kind of thing, which is
1: that's a hundred percent, you know, kind of work right. <laughs> It's exactly, and all of a sudden, a bunch of hey, uh, let's get our Lusitania thing, uh, right. You know, <laughs> fast forward as quickly as we, we can. Let's do the Hindenburg. It's so kind of like a flying a- boat. Yeah, let's yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> let's do. Yeah. Oh man, let's redo the Poseidon Adventure. Let's redo. The, it's like right. so funny to kind of see that kind of a thing. It's like you know, uh, you know, like the, the Annabelle movie hits, and everybody's like, let's do creepy period horror. Right. You know, that's looking. You know, it's like Hammer films and stuff. And then if you're like, oh great, you know where the Millers hit, let's all do. You know, or, or let's see, uh, Hobo Boxes. The first one hits. You're like, wow, those are three guys that add up to one. Salary less still at half the salary of a Will Ferrell or somebody else. Let's do that and go for an R, like a hard R and go into that kind of a thing. And that, you know, there's yeah. so many just you, they're always chasing the tail of something, right. you know. And it's always the guys that kind of dummy into that other thing. But that said, it's like those formulas kind of work. We still are going to go see the Avengers. We're still going to go see yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean Five Thousand or whatever the hell it is numbered there on now. We'll still kind of do that. But that, those ones that you, you really take in a big swing, where it's like Saw or Blair Witch, or you know something that kind of comes out of, uh, or even like Greek Wedding or something, where it was a yeah. visual voice full money where it's that like come out of Britain, and you're like, holy shit, um, th- that just feels like uh, those days are harder, harder to, harder, harder to replicate. They're yeah. just really not willing to make. you probably hearing this from a lot of your screenwriting guests and stuff like that. Just, just stop making that stuff.
2: Yeah. So they're like,
1: okay, cool, let's make. Uh, let's make another sequel of this or a spinoff of that or something within the uh,
0: Right. What kind um, of franchise yeah. can we make? Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's disconcerting
0: for sure. Right. Now, um, the ratings, uh, I'm sure are going to come back fantastic for undateable. They should, Thanks. if it's qualities in any, uh, gauge. <laughs> um, but like you had said, after, you'll know in a week or so, and if ratings come back poorly, for other shows, if ratings come back poorly, yeah. um, some shows, the writers all of a sudden know fairly soon that you're going to scatter to the winds and look for a job. So since we're nearing right. staffing season, um, yeah. the pilots are going to start to get picked up in April and that kind of thing. Um, right, right, right. We're putting together an article, which you've generously contributed to, uh, on staffing season and, and things that right, writers right. should and shouldn't do, the do's and don'ts. Um, so maybe we can chat a little bit about that. What sort of advice do you yeah. have for, for right. writers coming in? You know, again, at that staffing... That, level of of you know staff writers yeah. trying to get a freelance job something like that obviously not supervising producers and you know they're obviously right right know,
1: it's different it's, yeah, situation a, yes i mean like staff i mean this is i'm you know being a fan of your site i know it's like you know a huge part of of the kind of the thing that the guests or your fans are interested in the listeners mm-hmm. are interested in like how, how you got your break you know the first time we talked we talked about that as well mm-hmm. how you got in or what's your you know what's your break in store everybody has that kind of uh has that interest to kind of hear how that is so they can either emulate it or copy it or be infuriated by it. <laughs> That's how you got it. Right. Broker? So it's like, so, uh, but, but in general, like this is how, this is how the season will look like kind of for me. And then, you know, what we'll do really is like, kind of like kind of kick off of that. So I think the season comes around, they're making the pilots now, you know, in, in by, by the end of the, okay. So, so the, let's think about for staffing season for next year. So like go mm-hmm. the whole process, you know, like I would be support. So essentially uh, shows that they would, that would debut in fall of 2000 or not super 2015. Once they go in this fall. So last summer, during the summer, the network's were all buying scripts. Uh, they might've bought, you know, over all the networks, although I'm talking the broadcast networks. Uh, right cbs nbc cw uh, abc and fox they bought um a bunch of scripts drama and comedy so they bought like let's say they bought each one bought 60 projects 60 scripts mm-hmm. from that they might make 10 pilots you know three or four one hours five comedies whatever it is in one you know maybe one reality whatever it is they're going to do that kind of a thing then they're going to go and test the shit out of them and they're going to you know you have to go through casting make them all up they're going to recast something where it Hey, we really love this project. We spent a bunch of money on it. We didn't like the actress or actor we got, or the you know we thought we could redo this, retool. Let's re you know let's reshoot this scene and add this character in, and or you know this person came available because their show fell out, whatever. So right now they're making there's a scramble for casting. They're making pilots right now for for dramas, for one you know for one hour dramas, one hour dramedies, you know half hour comedies, whatever it may be, single camera, multi camera. So what will happen right now is during that process. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, we're in film, like it's a feature they do a round table and you get paid and, in TV, it's kind of a, a wink, wink, bro, bro. It's like helping your buddy move kind of a thing. Right. So as you're doing the week of production for, uh, that week, you know, while you're technically in production, uh, you're going to do your table read. You'll do a rewrite after your table read. You're going to do a rewrite or you do a rewrite before your table read. You'll do a rewrite after your table read. You'll do a network or a studio run through producers run through. You do a rewrite, meaning that they'll put up the show in front of your, um, Uh, the producers and then you make a rewrite, see what's not working. Then you do the studio, you'll get notes, you'll do another rewrite and then you'll do your network one, which is another big rewrite. So so you're going to rewrite it several times and the rewrites could be extensive where you're doing page ones. They could be very, you know, somewhere in the middle and they could also be very light where you're just beating jokes, having extra jokes. So like kind of like unbeatable, what you saw Kevin, which is like, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, that was funny. We got that on a laugh in the first pass. Let's see, let's try this a bit. We can get a bigger laugh with this or Hey, that shit's a bad. Let's here's something different. Let's do this. Um, so you might the rewrites could be like, hey, we just need extra jokes or whatever. Some mm-hmm. it's usually somewhere in between. Um, during that time, everybody it's kind of almost like a it's like a freelance audition process. Usually the showrunner, the producer or creator, they're calling up friends, they're saying, Hey, I worked with you on this show over here, I worked with you on Blackish, I worked with you on everybody loves Raymond. Come help me one night. Like, go, come to the table. We'd hear it, and I'd love to hear it. And help me So almost like you put together a uh, impromptu staff to address what you're going to go through. You can have people of all levels. You could have PA hey, this guy you stand up. I think great for jokes. Here's someone I've never met before. But my agent said he's really funny, and I should know him. I hear someone that um, they uh, I, I I reached out to because I'm a fan of it. I think they'd be great. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you get put in these rooms where you're um, almost like a, like an impromptu writers room, and you're helping out. So you went to the table read, you saw what worked and what didn't work. You go back and they go order dinner, and you guys talk about it and pitch jokes and help through. And that's like almost like a little bit of an audition for you as a writer. Didn't know that creator. That guy goes, "Hey, that guy's really funny. He got a bunch of jokes. That was he was really helpful. or He really analyzed the problem well. Or God, that guy won't shut the fuck up. I don't. I could not spend <laughs> that much time with him." Right. Or that guy's uh, that guy's really or that, that woman is hilarious and the two of them are really funny together. They that, would be really really great for uh, they really look like this character really well. So as let's say then that show gets ordered, you're going back through, you're doing those with every rewrite group. So you you know you do a new room the next night, new room the next night, new room the next night, all different same people sometimes, sometimes all different people, sometimes a mix of same and different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so you're doing, every night you're kind of inviting different people, different friends. The studio might say, hey, this is a writer that was in our diversity program that we think is really great. He's probably not even on your radar or on your agent's radar. He's not even represented. Uh, I think they'd be great. You see, you meet them and you go, God damn, they're awesome. So that's, that's really cool. Right. So you're meeting new people, whatever. So a lot of times you're using your friends, but there are, you know, there's kind of like seats for the bench for other people, and I think if you're a young writer and you can get one of those seats, whether you know just recently got represented or you're hip pocketed by an agent and they represent the writer who created, you know, who's doing this pilot, and you read it and you said, hey, I read um, uh, Kevin's pilot and it's fantastic and I know they're shooting it. Is there any way I can help out? And they will say, let me ask so they, that your agent would maybe call get call you. Say, hey, I got a fun writer over here. It's great. They come, you might say, yeah, you know, I have a lot of people. Uh, can they come, you know, tomorrow night after the studio? Like, all right, great. You need them. They're there. They're really helpful. You go, all right, cool. If this goes, and they order episode there are 10 or there are 15 for the fall, that guy's on my radar. A mm-hmm. lot of ways, you know, you're trying to get that, that, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that that can go. So helping out on pilots is one big way. So this is a long way of saying, like helping out on pilots, there's, those are really hard spots to get, because again, everyone uses their friends, they don't have a lot of time. This isn't you know they're worried about getting their pride on there they're not worried about making sure everybody's happy. Right. If they, you know, hey, I said no to this person. I just want whoever's going to help me the most so I can get my show on the air."
2: Right. so
1: but if you get one of those spots, you got you're on display, and not only for the show the other people that are there.
2: Mm-hmm. It might
1: be a co-executive producer that's on Blackish that's on your show that's there to help out that you worked on another show with and he's watching you and you're there and you guys really vibe,
2: right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: He goes back to blackish. They have a staff fighter open and I met this guy on a table. He's really funny. Yeah. I met this woman. And she was hilarious. We're looking for, you know, whatever. So it's an exposure because, you know, you know, especially with, you know, with, with TV, it's a very social thing. It's very very you know, Tight knit and clicky in a certain mm-hmm. way and getting into those kind of things is really difficult. So you know, in a way, you know, like I, I helped out on one big happy family, or one big happy, which debuted after Unatable, because my agent had the same agent as the creator of that. And I met her, and this film is hilarious. She worked on the Oscars, and she's great. She's an Ellen she's an Ellen writer, and she worked on two book girls, and hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's a lesbian woman, and the show's about lesbians or and whatever. And, they, and I came in as like a dudeish dude. <laughs> and I was writing the, the male lead, and I yeah. was not male, and I was like, hey, I think you'd say this a little bit more. This might sound a little more dudeish And, and I was able to help specifically. So if Undateable didn't come back, you know, uh, I could have, you know, I I met with Liz and and she could have very well said, hey, will you come on and help us? You know, um, that wasn't the case. I didn't, you know, Undateable came back and that wasn't, you know, it was a moot conversation. But in that case, I like she could see me as an asset because during that time I, you know, I helped or I was available in in, in show night. I was able to come in with jokes that she used on the floor when things didn't work or I could say, hey, you might want to cover this or that or the other because you're going to help them. So that's one way to do it is to help on a show that's getting there. That's really, really hard to do. I mean, if you're on one hour, I'm talking mostly comedy. Yeah. a so One hour or something like that, that's really difficult. But, um, you know, so one way is to, is is if you have any kind of – the, the common denominator of this conversation will go, who do you know? Do you know someone, yeah. meaning your agent? They can figure you in and stuff. If you're not represented or you have a manager or, you know, you're someone else, they can call and try to get you in there mm-hmm. – um, but ultimately, or you might know someone its their neighbor's friend or whatever it is, or you met someone at a stand-up club and said, hey, can I help out? Whatever it is, you can get in one of those, it's a great opportunity because you are they're seeing you in action. It's not like reading a spec and meeting you in a, in a, in a skilled environment where everyone's on their best behavior.
2: Right.
1: You're kind of seeing them in the trenches and how they behave. Like, right. wow, that guy won't shut up when I'm trying to think. Or that guy pitches really, really great jokes. So that guy pitches really happy jokes that aren't in the story. If right. they're, like, really funny but they're not in the tone of the show. You know, you could kind of hang yourself or you could really help yourself in that sense. So um, those are, that's one way that's really, really big. The other way is obviously like submitting. So let's say that you get uh, a meeting on, let's say uh, there's a pilot that goes and, and um, I'll just use Blackish as an example. Black, Blackish is a first-year show. Kenya Barris met and Larry Wilmore met with a bunch of people. They had their friends who they were going to offer there's people who were on deals with the studio that they were given, you know, that they wouldn't have to pay for because the studio is already paying for them. Right. But they let's say that they had five staffing slots for two staff writers, two middle level. You know, they're given almost like it's like a fantasy football roster. You right. get an amount of money and you you use that. You could use all upper levels and use have a few people on staff. But they're all people who are really experienced and and have you know a very you know they cost this much money,
2: right?
1: Or you could have like on uh, datable because they cut our budget and success, which is you know always a kind of a funny thing that they do. <laughs> There's the show does really well, they go, okay, cool. Can you do it for three quarters of the amount you did the earlier one? You're <laughs> like, right. yeah. So we didn't have as many upper levels. I was an upper level there. The rest was story editor and staff level, which is you know considered like you know um you know a, a, a less experienced people. Sure, sure. So we had a ton of people. There was fourteen of us with Bill and Adam and stuff. That's a big staff. Yeah. But we had huge. a couple writing teams and whatever. And so that was a huge staff for us. But they were all staff writer level. So you're you know, and the money of it all, you're able to kind of split for a bunch of bunch of more people because uh that's the way it works. So um yeah, so so you know, you're always kinda of trying to get your make, you know have that impression made and and, and uh in, in that way. And let's say that you know, Blackish goes and they say, Okay, cool, we have these clients. We're meeting a bunch of staff writers. Um, and you go, Okay, cool, I read the I read the uh I read the pilot, I saw the pilot, I saw the cut pilot, and uh I really loved it. I thought it was great. Maybe you knew the actor, maybe you knew Anthony Anderson, maybe you knew you know, maybe you knew someone on the show that you knew or you worked with someone or you were a PA on another thing, but you got it in and you have a meeting and you have your spec and Kenya or Larry or both of them together read your staff and they, yeah, it's, it's the kill It's really fun. Right. And they meet you and you go into that room and you say, Hey, you know, you and you're up against you know, tons of other writers and you have to kind of make your case. Like, Hey, I really love the show. This is what I can bring to it. And in that meeting, they're not just saying, you know, Hey, we figured because you're representative, you know how to write, or you know how to put together a sitcom in a certain way. I think what they're looking for also is like, can I spend 80 to a hundred hours a week with this person or am I going to fucking kill them? Right. You know, that's another part of it. Do you know when to pitch, when not to pitch, when to, how do you work with other people? Are you a person that's a naysayer? Are you a person that seems like they're going to be on their phone the entire time? Or, you know, just things like that. They're kind of saying it's, it's it's a, it's a chemistry thing too. So, you know, you go into those meetings, if you're lucky enough to get one, uh, you know, work twice as hard to make sure you find the way in and you, you know, feel the room. You know, you could talk about the show and what you liked, but also things that you think that it could need that you could bring specifically. You could sit there and criticize the show and say, I didn't think this worked or, you know, this, that, and the other or whatever. But Hey, I come from, you know, Hey, I come from uh, a family that from this area and I really know uh, where the, um, uh, I, I know where the character's kind of coming from. So I had a friend who worked on Mike and Molly, he said in Chicago, he was the 2nd city Chicago guy. He got that job, they were like, okay, cool, you know Chicago back and forth. That was his kind of, uh, you know, his thing. Sure. His, his thing. It's almost like in Wall Street when Gecko says to uh, Charlie Sheen's character, um, like, what can you do for me? You know, I can get anybody from anywhere, but what can you do for me specifically that makes you more valuable than the other guy with the same exact resume? And I think that's where, if you could speak something to it, like, Someone on our show, uh, one of our writers is friends with Chris Alia, who's the comic on show, and knows Chris's voice. So he was able to get exposure and kind of get into, um, uh, you know, was able to have, uh, to get the job. Not, you know, now that he knows Chris, Chris is comfortable with him, and, uh, you know, uh, that he was very, um, he knows Chris's voice. Chris, he could write jokes for Chris that, uh, that you know, makes it easier on all of us. You sure. know, that would help. So you know you, when you go into those staffing meetings, you're really trying to like impress upon them, um, you know, not only talk about the show, but show what you're like. Are you an introvert? And wow, is that going to be quiet? And when I need jokes or on the floor, are you going to get swallowed up by? When you have to go pitch to Chris Lee and he's like, hey, I need something right there, and you you turtle at that point? Are you <laughs> a big? You know, are you someone that will be great on the floor, great in you know, on stage? You know, there's certain guys are great. Like if you're doing a multi-camera, they're great on stage. They're almost like directors and they can help work with that. Right. They're guys that are better in the room. They're more room guys. or They're structure guys. There's guys who are just joke guys that aren't good structure, but they're really good at jokes. Right. So you kind of find out what they need and you try to like, you know, Taylor and, and, and just like any kind of interview process, you try to explain why they need you, like right. which guy and why is it, why not anybody? Why me? And it's gotta be that kind of a thing. So you gotta find your way in that way. And, um, you know, you know, a, a, you know, a show isn't looking to give you a job just to make, give you a break and be all awesome. It's like, he's looking to make his life easier. Yeah. It's a hard and job. Um, you know, I, I want, I want someone that I don't think about, you know, they go, Hey, so-and-so go do this. Then it's been done. Right. You know, and I know what they can do.
0: And just touching but, um, quickly on what you were saying about bringing something to the table to show that you can have that sort of impact um yeah a show like er is not on the air anymore but i'm just using it as an example right. uh, like a medical yeah. show if you're going in on a medical show you don't have to be a doctor to to be able to bring background experience to it you know sure. it was set in chicago you're from chicago that helps right. because it's set in chicago right. there's inside jokes there's things like it's every city in america has something about it whether it's you know the fried ravioli in st louis and in high school i don't know if if, i was talking to somebody else in st louis everybody asks the first time you meet somebody what high school did you go to in st louis everybody asks that there's little things like that that you don't realize being from a city but when you go to another city it's it stands out and every city has something like that so things like that you can bring to it you know, for if it's a cop drama, you don't have to have been a cop or a lawyer to right. have some sort of inside knowledge that could help. That it's just like, right. I think what you're saying is find right. what that is and be able to to illustrate that and right. show that off.
1: Absolutely, I think that's the thing. Is if you were a lawyer or you had that kind of experience and you were able to do you a know, legal show, you can go, "Look, man, I'm a lawyer. I did civil rights law and right. for you know civil civil rights law for the ACLU, and I was in this thing, and the show is about." Oh you know, this, that, and the other, and it fits in there, and like you meet on a house of cards, and you go, hey, you are that story where you're doing this, or you guys did this in the second season. I had an idea based on my experiences working for the ACLU. He'd go, oh, that is bringing for it in his chair. Right. You're bringing something he doesn't have that he can't do on his own. Right. So if it's a comedy, and you're going, hey, look, uh, uh, I was a stand-up. I know jokes. Like, I might not be the structure guy that can go, and like, when you get torpedoed at a table from the studio with some kind of structure note, but I'm going to give you, I worked on late night and I could give you 50 jokes in that area every time, you know, that's your value. Go, okay, cool. Right. Just like in basketball. Hey, you're a three point guy. You're a good defense guy. You know, Hey, this guy's really good at just taking fouls and charges and getting rebounds, you know? Right. So you find the way any way you can. And, and, uh, we always work our way back you know, to sports
0: analogies, which is fun.
1: Yeah. Like, it's very because <laughs> cool, it, it is team and it's like you have. You know, Bill and Adam are the Kyrie and LeBron, and I'm. You know, I, I guess I'm. Uh, i I'm, I'm. I'm probably built more like Anderson Vergeau, but, but, uh, <laughs> but the um, and I'm hurt as often. But um. So, but like you have that kind of a thing where you have somebody that, um. You know, you, you can't have a, you you can't have a, um, a team full of of uh, everybody wanting the ball in a certain way. You want that right. kind of thing. It's you a, can't the, have a bunch of Bill lay beers or uh, Steve
0: yeah, Kerr's exactly in it, you know? right.
1: Exactly. It's like if you had, if you had five Allen Iversons on the floor, it would be five you know one on one isolation plays every time. <laughs> yeah, and it's one not going to work that way. One guy scoring, yeah. four
0: guys standing around not playing defense. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. And
0: you have no Sean Marion hitting the boards. or no, yeah. no uh
1: you know, Daniel Davis or you know, there's no one out there. No one's going to be like Shane Battier or something. You need you need the whole kind of you know elixir to be able to pull it together. And so, like when you're taking a staffing meeting, it's if you have that in mind. It's like uh, when I looked up Family Tools, Bobby Bones my friend. He actually had a great meeting at the very end of it. He just, he's such a funny guy because he's like from the South. He's very direct and and very like sweet, but it comes across really like, good He goes, so uh, this was great. Uh, I guess, uh, are you weird? What's your deal? Like, are you <laughs> shitty in a room? Like, he just, it just came out. Usually you would be more tactful. there? Right, right, right. like, hey, what are you, what's it like for you? to try to find ways to see if someone's like, you know, his, 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 indur- his kind of pretty direct way of saying, Hey, you're not a shithead, aren't you? Because you, right. you kind of checked all the boxes on that. And, you know, w- w- am I going to regret, you know, being around you? Or right. Maybe? Wow. What, what's your
0: game Right. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a big part
1: of think uh, TK's.
0: Like, are you man hands or not? Yeah. Right. From, from right. Right. Perfect in every way, but has hands like a man. She's perfect in every way, but her hands are just big like a man. <laughs> They're like a man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah,
1: right, <laughs> so it's So, exactly, that's I mean, that's what it is. So, you know, and I think that, like, you know, one of the things you'd ask me, too, is, is with specs. It's like, um, you know, when I read a spec from a writer, I don't know if he really wrote it or she really wrote it mm-hmm. or how much. You know, if, if they were a staff writer on another show, Right, I knew it was rewritten by the room, and I don't know which jokes are yours. I don't know what your writer's draft looked like. Like when I gave you an outline, did you execute it that way, or, you know, if it's a spec, you know, um, some people are really great at doing, you know, copying, or they had a bunch of friends and helped them, and they didn't do any of the jokes, and you go, "Wow, oh, is there an awesome spec you know in the room? Like, where's the guy who wrote that spec? Well, it might have been a bunch of people, so you know, it could, you never know. So it's like you want to um, you know, sometimes it's good to have specs in different arenas, and, and that's what 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 children are looking for, and specs can change. So, years ago, I the bottom line is you want it to stand out. So, like for years, everybody had a Simpson spec, everyone had a Family Guy spec, everyone had a 30 Rock spec, Office, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. All the specs on, on all those things, it's like 80% of your submissions are going to have that in there. Well, yeah. it's going to be hard to stand out in that because you just start getting snow blind to uh any differences. You're like, okay, cool, I'm reading, you know, this, that, and the other. Wow, the jokes are funny here and here. It's harder to stand out. So yeah. sometimes people will go, all right, cool, I'm gonna go back and do a modern version of Welcome Back Cotter and do like, Okay, cool, I'm gonna write a Welcome Back Cotter spec. That
0: sounds awesome. And
1: you're like, what? But you're writing like the sweat hogs but you're doing a modern, you know, like and that that makes me as I have a pack of submissions on my desk and I'm yeah. reading, go, Hey, I'm gonna read that. You yeah. know, that gets me there and oh that took a big swing and I like that. You know, you're rewarded for boldness and all that sure. stuff. Um, but that also might show that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You <laughs> go, wow. This, uh, I still don't know, but it, it yeah. might be worth a meeting. Like, this guy's weird.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: this woman's nuts. So, um, you know, so a lot of times you want to have one of a show that's already on the air, a multi camera show. So, you might want to write, like, you know, a, a, a you know, if it's big bang. You have your big spec. So, if a multi camera show is available, they could say, all right, cool, can you write multi camera? Uh, they read that spec. If it's a single camera show, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Modern Family, you have a modern family or a single camera spec that you go, okay, cool. It's a 30 rock spec or it's a, you know, um, uh, you know, it's a Mary down FX or always fine. yeah, that kind of a thing. So you have something like that in your arsenal and then maybe an animated spec. Cause there's so many animated shows. Archer is big, you know, adult swim has a ton of shows that are, you know, robot chicken, that kind of stuff that you do where you have animated stuff Fox has a million animated shows, whether it's Bobby Burgers or, you know, that kind of thing. So having that where well, you could write those kind of jokes where you're not trying to do, uh, you, you know, animated stuff, the tone only, you're not trying to land emotional moments as hard as you would on a, maybe a single camera. Multicamera's about, you know, you saw a live, it's more like theater, like, so can you write like that? So that way you're you're saying that like, look, I can do all the different forms in the same way that a musician might say, look, I can play scale, I can play jazz, I can play blues, I can play rock, whatever. Right. Try to show that you could have that, that thing. So if you have one spec, write another and, you know, try to mi- mix it up. So if you're an unrepresented writer, or you're someone who is trying to get on something, um, have a m- multitude of things so you could show different styles of the shows. If you're sitting there and you write five multi-camera specs and it's one's Raymond, one's this, one's that, one's friends, whatever, uh, you're probably, if there's a single camera show, they might like your specs, but they're going to go, can you write single camera? Can you write, you know, to a different genre. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. different form. So you want to make sure you have all those kind of things. And, 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 and you know, rightfully, when you're submitting to the show that you want to get on, um, uh, or your management is, or whoever that may be, that they're sending that spec to that person, what that showrunner is asking for. Right. So, um, a lot of times, in a pilot too, you want something that shows your original voice. So like if I was giving you on your own and I said, Hey, go, uh, on your own, you're deciding, you're creating a universe and you're, you're structuring it yourself and you're doing your jokes. Uh, I could see what your voice is like and how I can use that in my, in the, in the arsenal of my show, you know, sure. I would sit there and go, Oh, cool. I read this guy's this pilot. It was really weird. I thought it was really blue and raw and whatever, but the like, I really know structure. Or wow, this guy's really funny; he has great stuff. These character jokes. This person is great all around. Whatever. Um, they see the, you kind of left your own devices. Can you do it yourself?
2: Right. And
1: uh, that becomes you know a huge thing. So a lot of times now they want to hear, they just want to read original stuff. Right. Um, they're not wanting you to read. You know, if you say that, like I said, you worked on last year on Blackish and you were a staff writer. You have a Blackish sample that you did that maybe was shot. A uh, showrunner sometimes won't necessarily want to read that because they know it's gone through the process and everyone's touched it. They still don't, might not be able to get a good sense of you. Sometimes they'll ask to read your writer's draft right. of that show. So you it. ask your old boss, Hey man, is it cool?" send them the writer's draft. And uh, they say, yes. And you send that and they see what you did with the outlier. And they'll see you kind of closer to when it was your version of the show, as opposed to the whole room getting their uh, hands on it and right. running through that process. They'll see like, wow, you really need, I think I actually like your writer's drop better than the final version that I saw on TV. So, um, you were much more raw and you had made better choices than what, uh, it came out on screen where they could say, wow, you really, uh, your writer's drop is horrible <laughs> right? and you really need the whole room to get there. So, you know, there's different ways everyone you're on display, you're being vetted. So, um, you know, be as bulletproof as you possibly can, I guess. So, um, but it's pretty, uh, it's, it takes a lot of work, but that's 90% of people haven't written shit or they read, write one thing and then they're, hands are up and they're like, I'm owed a job. It's like, right. You're going to get killed if you do that <laughs> Keep writing. Yeah. Because when you get into production, man, you know, last week, I think I wrote four or five multi-camera scripts all yeah. together because I was running rooms and I was doing the same scenes over and over again. And you yeah. you know, we rewrote a script four or five times like from scratch. Mm-hmm. So it's like writing five new scripts and using a couple jokes here and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you got to show that you could hit consistently or that you fit. So, um, otherwise when you're getting in that, in that, uh, grinder, I don't want dead weight, you know?
0: Yeah. And tying back into what you had said about, um, you know, the showrunner wanting to see the writer's voice and you can't do that necessarily in an episode that's been rewritten by the room and that kind of thing, but also talking about writing a lot of material, continually writing, I get yeah. we get asked a lot what is voice how do they see voice you know w- what does that mean and I think again the voice is your writing style. And if you are asking what sure. that is, it's probably because you haven't written enough. The more you yeah. write, the more you'll find your own groove and the own, your own yeah. way of, of writing. And people can pick up on that. There's a consistency to, you know, again, it, it's not even as extreme as like an Aaron Sorkin, although his is an obvious example of, you know, his right. rapid fire, or Shane Black. Dialogue or Shane Black. Right. Everyone, they, they definitely have a style that's very distinct. But even other writers right. um, have... If, if they're professionals and they're working and they've done right. a lot of work they have a voice now it may not again yeah. it may not be as distinct as like a Shane Black and Aaron Sorkin uh somebody right. like that but other writers can pick up on that they will see from script to script what that through line is that thread that that voice is and again yeah, if you're like, sure. if you're like what is the voice what is a voice how do i find that you just keep writing mm-hmm. it it'll come to you
1: yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a great, uh, great observation. I think that's really, uh, um, hundred percent. That's it. If you don't know what it is, then you're probably copying everybody. And it's like watching stand ups, It's like, it, it, you always hear that with ups too. Like what's mm. his voice or whatever. And A lot of standups are like, yeah, I was, you know, uh, I think you've heard Mark Maron's podcast. A lot of times he's talked about it. like, people go through a phase of whoever the you know go-to comic is. So it's like if Bane Cook was really popular at the time, you can get a lot of guys yeah. get a and, and act that way. If there's people that were, uh, Todd Berry, who's kind of a dry thing, you have know, to a lot of dry kind of guys, like, uh, you know, when the alternative comedy was around in the 90s with Mr. Show and all that stuff, everybody was talking less about like set up punch and kind of like that, it was deconstructionist comedy. It was like, right. oh, okay, I'm gonna talk about comedy. And that was the thing. And, you know, so everyone, you're finding a comic's voice, so, like, you go to the laugh factory, you go to, you know, uh, the comedy store on a a Tuesday night or something like that. You're going to see a lot of people who you could say, that guy's copying Bill Burr, that guy's copying Chris D'Elia, that guy's Mm -hmm. copying so-and-so. And And the more that they find that stuff, you know, oh, that guy's copying the quiet kind of thing, or this guy's a loud guy this way. Right. that guy's a neurotic. He's doing Dave Attell. It's like everyone, you right. kind of get these kind of uh, stigmas that are associated with uh, um, you copying a voice. So like stand-up is a is a great example of, to run a parallel to like writing voice. So if you sit there and you go, man, I love Quentin Tarantino movies. Right. I'm sure like after Pulp Fiction and everything was breaking out, everybody was writing. And the movies that were getting made, you saw it. It was like whatever, it was like Three Days in the Valley or whatever. You saw
0: these things. Of, like, U-turn, the, do do Oliver Stone's U-turn.
1: Exactly. It's yeah. like Elmore Leonard kind of crime with yeah. dark comedy and black comedy in it and stuff like that. So everybody started writing kind of in that style. you can kind of see that thing. You know, obviously there were Shane Black uh, mimics after Lethal Weapon and Predator and all that other stuff that everybody was like, their stage direction was really flourishy and funny. Sure. You know, there was jokes in the stage direction for the reader. Yeah. You know, there was ones where the stage direction was real dry and really clean and it was all in the dialogue and it read like a play and I was like, oh, okay, that's that guy's style or, that's right. that so it's probably a little less discernible in screenwriting. Than it is maybe in up or, or in writing in general, but it's also the choices you make, like yeah. the choices you make in the story, the way you tell a story. Uh, are you interesting with time? Are you great with the way that you cut around it? Do you do, is it like, wow, it's starting at the end of the story in that classic form of like, right. a, like a, like a boulevard, like I'm showing there or, or, you know, like, a a Billy Wilder style of like oh, okay cool there's a murder at the beginning how did this happen and you're kind of doing a Rashomon thing and you're piecing it together a certain way or it's like, do you are, is your thing you know like Neil Blomkamp is Blomkamp, it's like is it kind of like in this modern realistic sci-fi that's not too far from the future right it's, it feels like maybe it's twenty to fifty years away with some moral with some like, moral
0: lesson <laughs> in there. Yes,
1: there's that kind of a thing you can kind of go back to. You go, okay, that's that guy's style. Are they like, are they, you know, as Kevin Williamson who did like, you know, made his bones doing kind of young people and, and that kind of deconstructionist horror, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, Deconstructionist slasher stuff. So with screening all that stuff, I go, okay, cool. So you'll find that stuff within genre, which is unique within that genre. If you're writing something and go, wow, this really feels like an old John Carpenter movie uh, style, or this, this really feels like... Uh, um, and Aaron Sorkin kind of a thing. You're going, oh, okay. Oh, well, I guess I like Aaron Sorkin and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you can find those things in the choices, too, the way you structured it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you did a multi-camera spec, a uh, pilot spec, and it had a cold open and a, and a tag and two acts, and it really felt like it was all in one place. It was about a family. You'd go, wow, that's really kind of harkens back to Sol Rosenthal and everybody loves Raymond, but it's very... The, the choices were to kind of a throwback style, a very simplistic structure, but it's very much about the family within that. And you did like a modern version of a family where it's like, Oh, there's a gay son and this person there and that, and uh, you know, and uh, and, uh, the mom and the dad are divorced, but still live together and whatever you're making choices within that genre or within that kind of form that speaks pretty loud to someone reading it, whether they're a potential boss or someone buying a spec from you at a studio or buying a spec from you, a feature spec from you at a crush company or studio. So, um, all those things are really kind of like what's your truth and what's your, what, what, what do you know? I mean, um, I, if I sat there and try to write from a young Asian woman's, uh, perspective, I'm probably going to miss wide right. Cause that's just not my experience.
0: Right. There'll be two you know, sports big, references you know, in there.
1: Right. Not, not, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So to, to write that, I would need you know, and that's what, you know, but, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, if I'm a young writer and that was my thing, I'm going to really try to go out of the box and do that stuff. Uh, The margin of error is probably a little wider um, because you're going to, you know, you're you're not writing what you know, so to speak. So um, we just tried, but um, it's truth, you know. So, you know, if you try to sit there and emulate someone too hard, you go, oh, shit, that's pretty, um, uh, pretty obviously this person is this and the other, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. like, wow, this person. When I meet you and say that spec about your you and your divorced mom, that was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, that came from my real life. Blah, blah blah. I'm like, wow, that's that's irrefutably specific voice there. You right. know, wow, the choices you made, the way you chose to do that thing. If you end up writing something that was just goofy comedy that just was not connected to anything, um, you know, there's choices you made in that too. So it's a matter of kind of finding that um, finding out what you do well and being really honest with yourself too. Cause you could be really, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you might think you're great and you're not, or you might think you're a lot better or less or, you know, whatever. So, uh, it's, it's pretty humbling experience. If you're not, um, if you're not, uh, uh, if you're not taking good inventory of your own, your stuff and listening to people you trust and what their reactions are,
2: right. so you
1: can get pretty, uh, pretty dark <laughs> people. You're in for, you're in for a rough, uh, could be in for a rough um uh rude awakening when people are like yeah yeah we don't like this and you're like what <laughs> put my heart on the page yeah how dare you not like it
0: so no. yeah i always go back to that article of uh why i will not read your fucking script um yes yes you know it's a great article we've linked it on the side multiple times but uh maybe i'll link yeah, it right. too uh, because again most people don't want criticism they don't want to improve uh, they, they want you to praise them and they want you to yeah. you know help them they succeed. don't want notes yeah they don't want notes they don't want notes no. they
1: don't want notes they want praise they say they want notes right. and they want uh, they want uh, they want praise yeah. now I mean if you're and, and also um, if someone's getting a reaction to something you read um, you uh, you know if someone's reading something when they're giving you criticism and you want to go back at it that's gross too in a way that you go okay cool how because the studio's going to the, the, the buyers to be, are you're, you're going to get notes. You're going to get criticism for the people who are paying you. And unless you want to send that money back, right. uh, you're going to have to make, you know, it's not iron Rand. It's like, you're going to have <laughs> to, you're going to have to do what they say of some version. So how do you make it a palatable version? If you're sitting there, they're going, Hey, can we make this about an African American cop? I know you did it about a young, uh, uh single mom in uh, you know, with three kids in the suburbs, but can we make it this? And you're like, no, You better be able to defend it in a very, you know, cogent kind of uh, way of being able to be very clear. So if someone sits there, and the worst kind of notes to get from someone, and uh, this might be a little bit of a tangent, is ones where they're like, I would do this and I would do that. That's like the worst. Don't say that. This is what I did. Mm -hmm. Help me make the choices I did better, you know, because that's like, I'm not doing your version of it, you know. The best notes from a friend would be like, hey, I think you were trying to go for this. I think it might be more effective. Uh, if it was like that, if if there was something like that, I think you were going for that. I think this is a better way of doing that. I didn't understand this, you know, as opposed to, Hey, instead of this guy, why didn't you say this? Like, well, that's what you did. you like that in your spec. Right. This is what I'm doing in mine. So, uh, you know, you're going to get those kind of notes and how you kind of deal with that and how you implement that and and do that. I think that that's going to be, uh, that could be, uh, growth as well, but it also could be, um, super frustrating, uh, Uh, to get someone to uh, ask you to read something, you spend time and then you're just like, okay, cool. You just wanted me to tell you that it's awesome. But it's not right. Uh, I didn't feel that way. This is like, I spent a lot of my time making you feel good. (laughs) Right. And not that I don't want to make people
0: feel good, but uh, (laughs) uh,
1: uh, come on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a business. It's not. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, Uh, Well, we talked about uh, a covered a lot of grounds today. We covered staffing season. I think
1: so. Got yeah. it. Yeah, so I we, hope it was important.
0: No, it's great. We covered ratings, which I think is helpful too. Um, we talked about Undateable, which people should watch Tuesday, March seventeenth, right, right after The Voice, which is hopefully after this yeah. podcast. Um yeah. So definitely watch uh, Undateable. And talking about voices, you know, Ron Funches is such a funny stand-up comic. Is there going to be a bunch of <laughs> yes. Ron Funches type stand-up comedians coming after that? Because that's
1: there is a lot. He's I mean, so, he's unique. so unique because of I mean he's a whole experience. You yeah. You know he's uh, he he looks like no one. He speaks like no one right. and his material is like no one else's. And uh, he is uh he's a force of nature and just wonderful in his own way and it's it's so funny to like, have Ron, uh, if people don't know Ron Funches, look up F U N C H E S. Look at Ron's stuff. He's got a he's got a special coming up. out soon. He's done some other stuff. He's won tons of like praise and like things of being the best, one of the best stand ups in America and all that other stuff. And he is unlike anyone that you've seen. Like yeah. you know, you saw him that night and Well, you have someone like Chris D'Elia, who's very animated and is physical. Ron is very low-key, quiet, and just paces like a tiger and just kind of just nails these things. And you're like, holy shit. Um, You know, it's it's, it's definitely more, uh, um, it's very unique. And then you have Chris, who's this big, you know, kind of wild animated dude. Um, But Ron is, uh, Ron would be a tough guy to emulate because that's really Ron. I mean, that's a guy who knows his voice and what he does. That's Ron, you know. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, Chris is just a big, wild dude. He, he, you know, he's difficult to emulate too, because he's just physically as a, as a physical comic, he's just like Jim Carrey in the sense that he's so bendable and, and physically funny that not everybody can go and do that stuff that he does and pull it off, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, as opposed to like someone like Jim Gaffigan, who's like one of the funniest dudes in the world, He's probably more copyable because you could sit there and take that style of genre stuff, but the way they deliver their jokes, those two guys specifically, are very difficult to uh, emulate and uh, pull off well.
0: I think I saw Ron first a long time ago on like Conan or something. Uh-huh. And then when I first saw him, yeah, I'm like, was, that's yeah. the guy from Conan because me and my wife yeah, thought he was right. so funny. I think it was Conan or Ellen or, yeah. or you know, Jimmy yeah, Fallon, he's, somebody he's, like that.
1: Yeah, for he's sure. He's been on, uh, He's a favorite of a lot of... He's a comics comic, but he's also really accessible, too. It's it's like uh, he, he's, you know, blown up and doing some... uh, He's unreal, like, unreal popularity. It's like he started to... Uh, you know, went from being kind of like, oh, that's a comics comic to someone that's becoming a people's comic just by exposure and stuff. You just see that. It's just gradual over time and, and uh, couldn't be a better guy. It was his birthday yesterday, so... Oh. I would... Uh, He's the best, and I love that guy. He's just and the sweetest guy you'd ever met, you could ever meet, and just just generous and sweet. And it's just like, you know, it would be ironic if a guy who's that nice and comes across so sweet and likable on stage is a dick, and he's just not. That right. Guy. He's exactly who you see. He's just yeah. Super honest, super sincere. Well, that's cool. And, uh, one of the most brilliant comedy minds, like just absolutely crazy great. So, well,
0: speaking of um, not necessarily a dick but somebody who's not who seems to come across as somebody different than his character like chris Uh delia seems like he's kind of danny he just seems like they're they're sort of you know similar in terms of their you know their sense of humor they're but like brett and justin seem very different brett morin seems to have more of an edge to him than justin who's very straight laced and oh yeah you know so they seem very different so that's kind of interesting He's not a dick. Sure. He's, like, he didn't come across as a dick no, or anything no, dick, no. But, right, yeah.
1: Right, no, yeah. That, I mean, Danny, the Danny character that Chris Clea plays, is his growth in the series is he's a, a self centered dude who would never have a long term relationship because uh, he's like a cheetah. He's all personality in front. There's no, it's all physical, no stake kind of a thing. And he wants the stake. You know, that's his thing. He wants to be that guy. But he can't, you know, he just can't get there because he can't get out of his own way. But he's learning with the help of his friends and stuff like that that this is what he kind of wants. Um, Chris in real life is the nicest guy, funniest shit, nonstop, you know, nonstop working. Like this guy works so hard on what he does. He's out every night performing. He'll be doing the Justin Bieber roast at the end of this month, mm-hmm. and uh, which I hope, uh, I know he's going to kill on that, and it just gets him more and more into the stratosphere. He is like, he's a version of Danny. I mean, we make Danny pretty dumb, <laughs> kind of like a little bit of a Fonzie kind of like right. in that sense, like he can do, do some stuff. We definitely, there's times where the network's like, yeah, I don't think he's that dumb. But, but Chris enjoys it, and he plays it so well. Right. But yeah, he's definitely like, you know, Chris is a ladies' man. He likes, the ladies love Chris, and he definitely lot his wardrobe. That's how he looks. You know, it's a lot of that kind of a thing. There's a lot, probably closer to closer to Chris, than definitely uh, Brent Moore and the other lead is to the Justin character who plays kind of a buttoned-up theater camp nerd kind of a guy, more to right. Felix to the Oscar. Um Brent is re- in real life is again. What these guys? Uh, there's not a person on the show in the cast, especially who is not uh, the great. Just the sweetest, most kind, awesome people. So there's no like secret things here where I'm going to say like, yeah, that guy's really a dick. On they're yes. not. They're really great. Um, Brent is a kid from uh, he's from the East Coast, like Connecticut, Boston area, and he's got that kind of vibe. If you see him in rehearsal, he's got a backwards, you know. Um, uh, backwards Boston hat and you go, God, he looks like someone from Good Will Hunting, like a Southie kid. That's, right. that's the way he talks, that's the way he is. He's very much like a Bill Burr type guy. His, his standup is very, uh, is very much more, uh, raw and, and great. It's more, you know, it's, it's he's a brilliant stand up too. It's some of the, one of the, the most hilarious, he's one of the most, one of my favorite bits I've ever heard a comic do, uh, is a bit of him putting his foot in his mouth, that is so well written and so well performed. And it kills me every time. He's done it on Conan. So if you can look it up, it's, uh, it's Brett Warren's uh, on Conan. He does it. And it's uh, about him just striking out with a girl and he just keeps making rounds, goes back around and around. And each time he strikes out, it gets more absurd. But he does this whole thing. And he, in real life, I think the thing that makes close to Justin is that Justin in the show, we write him to be a guy that goes down rabbit holes. He goes into fantasies and he act, he talks them out. Like, maybe one day I'll do this. Maybe she says this. Maybe that. He speculates. He, gets, he projects. And Brent does that in his real life. He kind of like makes himself neurotic in his own way by uh kind of thinking himself into a corner. So we've kind of taken that for his personality, but in real life, that's not his clothes. He's not a guy that looks like, you know, a gap mannequin and, and uh you know, blah blah He's more of a he's more like crutches He's very much like that. He definitely stretch more to play Justin than he is. So um but if you see him as a standup, you go, What? That's crazy, you know. It's not quite as extreme as Bob Saget, you know, from right. Bob Saget is a up where you're like, Oh my God, this guy said more F-bombs right. in the last 20 seconds than they you know, than, than it's humanly possible. Brent definitely liked Justin in a certain way, but uh, we definitely like him more uh, nerdy, like more buttoned up and, 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 and nerdier than, uh, than he is in real life. He's definitely more of a, you know, a single dude that's, you know, East coast and got that edge and stuff like that. So uh, it tot- it's pretty wild.
0: Totally reminds me of Dave Foley from news radio. Oh, that's a, He would love to hear that. Yeah. He loves, he loves that cut. He's very physical as well. He's great. He loves, he, he did, he's really good at prat
1: balls. He did a prat ball on one thing that I was like, this is going to look stupid. I'm, you know, sometimes <laughs> they look too sick. I'm like, all right, guys, we have to rewrite this thing because I don't think it's going to work because it has a fall in it. And I'm like, ah, it's just going to look silly. It's like, you to look like home alone. You know, like, you know, you're already in a broad tone when you're in a multi-camera as it is. And then you're going to add, uh, uh, you know, you're going to add, um, uh, a big pratfall in it. Are we totally going off the rails here? You know, you have to have those kind of, you know, conversations when you're kind of seated on the seat.
2: Right. You
1: know, no dude, seriously, I got it. And we're like, okay, we do this camera. Here. here we go. Let's hope this works. And it was unbelievable. I was like, he did it perfectly. And you're like, God damn, this guy's really gifted that way. So he would, and that's what all he, you know, much Foley yeah. and kid in the hall. He's yeah. so physical and so funny. Uh, that he, I think that Brent would love that comparison. And that's a really good one.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and not only just in terms of their style of comedy, but they seem very different from. Yeah. Because I mean, in Dave Foley's character in News Radio was very straight laced. Oh and yeah. So I mean, the comparisons are you know multi. Yeah, yeah, aspect.
1: yeah. Good point. So, yeah, for
0: sure. Absolutely. For and sure. they're both great shows. News Radio is fantastic. If anyone hasn't seen it, you should go back and watch News Radio, and you should watch. And oh, Dave. So good. You should watch. Yeah. Oh, well,
1: thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Tuesdays after the Voice at nine and um and we're you know uh we'll be on so watch it if you're a Nielsen family please watch it twice and twice do and they count that if they watch people... it twice
0: if a Nielsen family watches it in the DVR so. and then they watch it again so. oh okay.
1: I think so yeah and if they say that they had a party and a bunch of people were there that that you know hey 20 people watch it it becomes like you know I mean, it's, just, it's a flawed system but it doesn't mean we're not gonna game it if we can't yeah absolutely <laughs> Every, yeah, in a very way, uh, that's an, an admission to gaming or a solicitation just for legal reasons. But um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, if, you know, hey, I can encourage all I, yeah. all I want. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm saying yeah,
0: would be nice. Yeah, if there's any Nielsen families <laughs> who happen to be listening and happen to be sure. watching and on yeah. a, a Tuesday night and then happen to watch it again at a party, then hey, you know, yeah, we right. would love that. We would love right. that. Exactly. Awesome Um, Thanks for coming on again Hey buddy Always man Thank you so much